Welcome back to the Bag Drop Podcast. Our co-host, the professor, looking dapper this morning. Good morning, professor. I honestly want to just skip this intro and just get right to the guests. Like, no fact that they just plow, plow through because, yeah, we've got one of the best minds and voices in golf and one of the best people in the world as well. Um, so let's pound out this intro and let's, let's, get, to, let's get to our guests. I think you're right, man. Don't dilly-daddle this morning, as my wife likes to tell me with the kids at school. Get your butt moving. Thanks to this, the podcast is brought to you today by the wonderful team at New Club Golf Society. New Club is accepting applications for the 2023 and 24 season. It's a rolling 12 months, so you can join at any time. We got local tee times in our local chapters of Atlanta and Chicago. We got tournaments throughout the year, including the Charity Classic at Rivermont this year and the, the Chicago Stinger at Elgin Country Club. Uh, plus, all our limited frill events. No tea gifts, no food, no swag, just down and dirty. Good old-fashioned golf competition, mostly match play. Uh, Sunday morning four-ball leagues. It's an amazing community of hundreds of avid golfers. They're passionate about the game, and uh, you can be too. So join at newclub.golf. Professor, without yeah, further whoa, whoa, ado, whoa, whoa. let's we get gotta, to the big man. We got still do the fact of the day. I, I was being a little bit exaggerating there. Real, real quick, oh, oh, come oh, on, people <laughs> got to... You gotta let me do my duty. Then we'll, then we'll get Rob in here real quick. Jeez, traditions are yeah. traditions. Not sure if it's counts actually as a fact. It's more of a, a puzzlement. You know, we've ha- I've been doing some ethical puzzlements. Uh, but no, recently reading a book about strivers. Um, strivers are like a term that is used to anybody that's looking at upward mobility. So starting maybe in lo- low poverty, and they're going to move up into middle class poverty and upper or middle class um, economic status and so on. Right. Really cool ethical dilemmas they face as they're moving, as they're look thinking about upward mobility. Um, the real big one, losing social circles and losing their family circles, right? As they have to mm. strive to essentially get out of their community to, to promote upward mobility, either through working more hours, going to college or whatever. They're faced with all sorts of ethical dilemmas of do they not take care of their siblings, right? How much money do they send back to their families? How are they able to keep their social circles in place or do they try to replace them, which replacing social circles never works out in the same way as you would expect it to. Um, so anyways, just, yeah, quick, quick kind of semi-fact of the day that's something to think about as anybody that's really, you know, pushing forward, especially in today's capitalistic society of America, of like this grand vision of the American dream of moving up in social status that, it's not as glamorous as people make it sound sometimes. And often, a lot of times, choose, people choose not to do that just to keep their social circles in place. Um, so something to keep in mind. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's not all sunshine and rainbows on the, the upward swing. And not everyone chooses that route, right? right? I think this guy chose that route I, 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 that we're about to dive to. So it's, thank you, Professor, for check, putting me in check and making sure we educate the dear listeners of the Bag Drop Podcast. Uh, without further ado... On the show. Hey, Rob Collins, welcome to the Bag Drop. Great to be with you guys. Man, it's been been some time. I've heard your voice, especially on the show. That was my all time favorite episode, man. I think it was like I almost felt like a real journalist interviewing you. That that out of the ordinary episode for the Bag Drop is still all art, all time download, all time favorite of mine. Uh, let's do it again. Let's do it. That was fun. I remember that. I was sitting in the uh, parking lot up at uh, Signal Mountain. We were redoing a little practice area over there. <laughs> that was that was a while ago. 
the the professor is gonna educate. He he takes the um, the acumen up the level on the show now, Rob. So yeah, right. Uh, he did talk about upward mobility. I, I think anyone that listened to that show knows that at a point in time, Rob Collins was pretty pretty broke. And, and, and now, are you still broke, Rob? That's my question. Are you still broke? I'm less broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've been going the right direction, man. So many cool projects happening. Uh, there, there's so many updates that we could have, but we, we, we got a lot of questions for you today. So thanks right, again. Excited to be here. Thank you. Oh man, where where to start? Um, I'm gonna start at the very big picture. I want today's pod to be just really about King Collins and their design, right? Not about a specific project, just everything you all bring to the table. Because I truly think at the end of the, at the when everything's said and done, 30 years and 100 years from now, like there's gonna be a huge story written about you all as, as game changers and all that. But let's start at that big picture. Do you do you and Tad think about that? that um what's that element like hey in 50 years from now here's what we want to be remembered by or remembered for and if so like what what is that what do you hope the the gca people write about you in 50 to 100 years um you know i hadn't really thought about that too much until i was sitting on the porch at sweetens a long time ago with patrick and and he he said something that resonated with me about how he he felt like you know, Sweetens was going to be kind of seen as the epicenter of this changing landscape in, in golf. And it's not something I had really thought of um, until he said that. And, um, you know, I think that Tad and I strive to do something unique um, on each project. Each one of our projects is a one-off in, in some way. Um, we want each one to be its own special thing, its own special gift to our clients. And, um, you know, there may be thematic similarities from one course to another, but, you know, you take a place like Red Feather. I mean, that's a departure for us in a lot of ways and it's very different from, from Landman or Sweetens, but it's one that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And, um, and, and I know Tad is too. And I think that, um, you know, we hopefully will be seen as people who went hard at each project and delivered something unique each time. And I mean, I think that that's a pretty good mark. That is, yeah. Is that hard to balance when you're thinking about projects? Because obviously you have an ethos and you have design principles that you want to bring to the table, right? That you firmly believe great golf courses have feature X, feature Y, feature Z, but at the same time, you want uniqueness on each project so it doesn't look monotonous. Is that is that something that you're pointing in your career right now you're giving specific attention to, or do you just let it naturally evolve with the project, the land it's on? Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I, I'm definitely aware w- when we go into a project of not wanting to be repetitive in a sense. Um, but at the same thing, at the same time, there's, you know, certain strands that carry throughout the work that are, you know, maybe recognizable or thematically similar to, to other work. But, um, I do spend a lot of time in thinking about how we can differentiate each project, whether it's stylistically or 
you know, maybe some of the strategies that are presented in the way the grains are built. Um, you know, I, I want all of our projects to have a certain flair and uniqueness to them, but I want each one also to feel like we weren't just trying to do something we did before too. I don't, I mean, I really don't get pigeon. Yeah. Is that flair? So that, that's something we, we really work hard not, not to do. I mean, I, I, I want to go to the left when people think we're going to go to the right. And I want to go to the right when people think we're going to go to the left. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Like in terms of the flair and uniqueness too, like, I think that's, uh, Definitely two adjectives I would use in terms of the courses I've seen of yours. Um, and I always think of like golf courses. You ever played the geo-guessing game, Rob? I don't think Matt, I have. Have you played the geo-guessing game? You get like dropped in the middle of like somewhere and it's a it's a Google, oh, the Google yeah, Earth yeah, yeah. like view and you have to like figure out where you are, right? So I always... It's a oh, big viral thing. Yeah, right like I have, like there's, you get scored for how quickly you I figure it buddy, out. I have a buddy, Walker Daniel, who's phenomenal at it. Like within like three seconds, he can basically be within about a thousand miles of wherever they plot you. So I think a golf course is the same thing. Like if they drop you in the middle of like a Donald Ross course, can you figure out you're on a Donald Ross course, right? Like if you've never been there before. So I was thinking like if I'm dropped in the middle of a King Collins course, like what to you, Rob, like what are those things that you maybe you do hope do cross over all the projects where if a random golfer was dropped in on one of your courses and they didn't know it was your course, they might look and say like, oh, I think this is a King Collins course because of this or that. You know, what are those features that maybe you do hope span your projects? Well, I mean, I, I think more in a general sense, it's a sort of level of artistry and attention to detail and, you know, maybe putting a little more care and time and thought um, into things and then you might see on a typical golf course. Um, and maybe the way it makes you feel as you go through it, um, you know, you may not be able to put your finger on a specific thing, but you know, hopefully you come off, you know, with a certain feel after the round. I mean, I, I think a lot about the emotional impact of the golf course throughout the round and the ups and downs. And that's a big part of the design, not just the physical nature of the golf course, but like what it's doing to you emotionally. And, um, that, that's a kind of a vague opaque thing to, to talk about, but it's part of it. And, you know, I think that the golf course can have kind of a effect on the way you think and, feel while you're out there and, and that that's that's not something you can really nail down real easily with specifics but it's something that we try to put in into them yeah the, the um you know i i think there's so many people that have a a sentimental connection now with uh you know your your courses rob and, and we're seeing the same thing play out as, as new places open that you and tad have have poured that detail into and my experience for, for with it right now is is just sweetens, but I plan to get to all of them, and and that is what we talk about. Like when we sit around and and the the emotional side of of what we were going through out there and the connection that we have by by doing it, and you, and sweetens does that to such a successful degree. I would t let's dig into the intent on it and the design on it. Like, are you and Tad kind of talking about what these certain shots are going to make somebody feel? At, at, at whether it be you know joy anxiety like what what do you, what's that conversation between you two what does it sound like like give us kind of an, an example of it if you will 
Well, I think it's, a, you know, just a, a very fluid process. And, and a lot of it is kind of, you know, riffing off the, the guys who are working with this. And, you know, for instance, um, I was down in, in Palmetto Bluff the other day, and, and the guys are just doing a great job down there. And we've kind of got a real good riff going right now with Gus and, and Paul. Um, it, it, and Gus is the one who, who built Sweeten's Cove. And, um, you know, we're we're all kind of riffing off of each other and throwing out ideas and, you know, same thing at, at Red Feather. And it's, it's a, you know, very much of a collaborative effort and you know it when you're in a groove with it. And it's, um, you know, you take ideas and you filter them and it just, things just kind of happen. It's a very, very fluid process. And, you know, basically you're trying to not repeat yourself within the context of a golf round by presenting the same type of shot over and over you I mean you want variety you know some some holes may want to be more penal some are um you know <laughs> we want to bring it in from the right or bring it in from the left and um you know presenting a lot of different scenarios and visuals in in problems and, and questions asked and it, it's just kind of a it, there's a method to the madness that's one thing that tad and i say and it's 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 hard to nail down or discuss in a sense it just it kind of happens it's just a very very fluid no i think so like yeah i think a lot of people could be like oh yeah you mentioned being vague but i think that actually is the strength of your work that you know obviously i'm a math guy data guy and a lot of people think i mean look at golf in general right now the data the the data oriented aspect of it too right and i would argue that's taken away from the the romantic aspect of the game but i think in terms of design not everything could be quantified and articulated and they're like oh here's what makes this great so i think what you're saying is spot on of what makes you and tad so unique that there is this emotional um aspect to it this uh, romantic aspect to the design and i know you're a deeply passionate person about music as well as movies and i feel like it's akin to that right like there's you can't quantify a good plot or a good album there's an emotional aspect to that and do you think of so to connect on that a little bit more do you think of golf course design in a little bit of similar way of a great movie or a great album and and what it does to the listener or in the case of golf course the the golfer no i, I definitely do and i mean i think um you know, we talk about this a lot in our, our text chat, Kevin, but, you know, Jim and I are huge fans of No Country for Old Men. And, you know, that movie leaves things unsaid and unresolved and there's loose ends out there. And to me, like, it's kind of a litmus test to me, that movie, for how other people's minds work and like if you don't get that movie you're probably not you know there's a good chance you're probably not going to like sweeten's cove um or some of the other things that we've done because there's you know there's a certain like a lot of our work has it's not it's not just so obvious in your face i mean it's not always explaining itself to you like I was thinking about the six hole at Red Feather. I can't wait for people to play it. I mean, I think that some people are absolutely going to hate it. And I think that some people are going to absolutely love it. And I think it, it may be the best par five we've ever done. And it's, 
just this incredible hold. You know, Joe Hancock had a a big hand in, in designing and building that hole and in, in the collaborative effort. And he had a word for it called nooks and crannies in that hole. And like, there's all these little hidden spots and there's, it's like the opposite of a golf hole where you have a framing bunker on the left and a carry bunker on the right. And then the green shifts the other way. I mean, it's, you know, you're not seeing anything from the tee that's telling you how to do this. And, you just, it still confuses me. I mean, I've been down the hole a hundred times and I'm like, wait, we're okay here. And you forget it's, it's just this really deceptive golf hole. And it's something you've just kind of got to get into and figure out. And, um, I mean, it it just asks a, a bunch of really fascinating questions, I think. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of like the old course, that hole, you know, we're just, you know, repetitive, play is required to to kind of figure it out and get used to the weirdness and the quirks of it and um it's not just all super explained to you i mean golf doesn't always have to be just so explained and obvious i mean if something is obvious on the first take it's not going to be interesting after repeated views or takes i mean it's like it's like no country for old men i mean that movie is interesting i can watch it again and again and again because there's things i pick up that i didn't see before and so we try to do that with our golf courses is make them things that you need to continually repetitively play to discover the the places to be and the places not to be and all this things that are the nuts and bolts of all that rob do you ever with all all your your new projects do you ever get pressure to move off of that. And what I mean by it is the old course, I think one of the saddest things about the old course is that most people only play it once. Mm-hmm. And when and, and Kevin and I have now been fortunate to both play it over again and we always bring you up after those rounds, right? Is is like your your courses and sweetens for me is that same thing, man. I can't figure it out. I got to keep going around again and again. This is just slightly different enough this time. Like I I didn't know this shot. I it's asking me a different question, and and that's the old course to a T. When you're building for a project that say that say is a resort that that people maybe do get only to one time, are, are you tempted or or I, I could see people say like. Well, that's not as important because they're not going to go around again and again, you know. But but I think does that does that pressure weigh on you a little bit? But you still stay say like, no, I'm I'm convicted that this this level of of cork and and uh, weirdness, as you put it, is is important to our design style. Is that do you hold true to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that people you know would hire us for for a reason. I mean, they want something a little different, um, and you know, I, I'm, yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't feel a pressure, you know, to, to cave on, on delivering something unique. I mean, but, you know, I'll also say, I mean, you know, the, the course we're about to do in Nashville, um, I think is, is going to be an incredible golf course. And it's, it's a different site than what we've had a chance to work on before. I mean, there's a lot of, green sites out there that are just there already um where you just kind of are are very much massaging and you know after it's all said and done i mean i'd like for the course to look like it's been you know sitting around for a hundred years and i think that 
to a certain type of golfer this and there will be quirks and things to the golf course but it may be i don't know if this is the right word but it may be a more traditional expression i hate that word but it, it you know you understand what i'm saying i mean in at least in, a, in american golf i mean then maybe some of what we've done elsewhere i'm not i'm not saying it's not going to have its flair its quirks i mean it certainly is i mean we're actually thinking about building a blind par three out there so, so i'm not i'm not saying it's not going to be quirky but it's it's a little it's just a, it's going to be a different expression for us and then it's it, the it's going to be every bit as good as anything we've ever done or better i mean it, places can be could be amazing um but um you know that that kind of goes back to me talking about wanting to veer one way when you know, people think we might go another and I'm ready to do something that we haven't done there before. So it's just kind of, a lot of it's whatever the project's asking. And, you know, I've always talked about, you need to identify the the primary questions that, that the project is asking and, and then you have to devise an answer for them. And I think that's kind of right off the top. A, a key aspect of design and then once you discover that then you you design and build the golf course in the field to 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 correctly answer those key questions i i got a, a key question that sometimes hits my mind i don't know if everybody asks this uh of themselves but i often do where when done well these golf courses become community rallying points. And, uh, again, using the example of Sweden's, I don't know if you, you know, had aspirations of seeing a community grow out of that, but oh my God, has a community grown out of that? (laughs) And and it's, it's not just local. It's not, it's, it's more destination based. It's people and friends from all over that have connected there and, and we're there for a, a specific reason. I think the love of golf and this style of, of play. And uh, and so I, I, I'm talking to people at Landman. I'm hearing kind of the same thing. And, you know, you brought up the Nashville project. Is is that like it's an emotional element, which I, I, I think I understand from, from how you and, and the team collaborate and talk about how's this going to make someone feel as they're playing it. But then like, is there like a societal part of that? Rob, where you think like, you know, Nashville, do you look at like Nashville as a, as a whole? Do you look at like the community that's going to be playing there? Do you look at like who's flying in for these places before you, you put any, you know, shovel in the ground? Or, or is that like a part of it too? Does it go that far as to say, what impact are we going to have on this community? Do you, do, does that conversation ever come up? Um, yeah, I, I think it does. Um, you know, as an example, you know, the, the Memphis project, Overton Park, I mean, was certainly one where it was obviously going to have a huge impact on the community. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the things that, that Tad and I really try to focus on in our designs that touch on what you're saying is we have these little, you know, touch points, you know, throughout the a lot of our, our courses where you'll come into contact with people on a green that maybe you haven't been to yet or a tea box that, that you've been to, but they haven't been yet. And, and there's sort of this, you know, communal feeling to the golf course. You're not 
separated out, you know, one hole, the next hole, the next hole. Um, and, and I think that type of design with kind of a communal aspect in mind while you're playing and being able to see other people play and, you know, having the touch points within the design that create a sense of anticipation. And if you haven't played that part of the golf course yet, and also creates a, a memory too, if you have played it and you're, Oh, I remember that shot I hit in there. And while you're watching other people do, you know, what, what you attempted to do before, I think those are types of situations that, that create, you know, real lasting memories and help create a, a strong emotional connection to a place. And, um, you know, that's definitely part of the design is, is incorporating these places where social scenarios can unfold. I think that's really important. So Rob, I was re- when planning for this podcast, I was originally going to ask some questions or, or yeah, a series of questions that were going to like be couch and like critiques or phrases used around your course to maybe critique them. But as I was writing that out, I'm like, oh, that's not fair. I, I was like, no, this isn't fair to Rob because one of the things I appreciate about you is you're one of the most confident people I've ever met, but you're also one of the most reflective people I've ever met, right? You just have a propensity to think deeply on any topic and really analyze your own thinking. So rather than focus on like other people's critiques of your work, I was more interested now, especially now that you're, you know, through several of your own um, solo design projects with, with you and Tad, have you critiqued your own work? Like what have you lessons learned in terms of you trying to always improve your design um, in your golf courses? You know, what have you learned so far about yourself and, and what you put into a golf course? I mean, we definitely um, critique ourselves and, and, and think back um, in you know, I think that um, it's just, it's really important to be aware for us of what we've done and, and put that in a context of where we're going. And, um, you know, there's lessons to learn with every project. And that's one thing I, that Tad's really quite strong at. He, I often hear him saying this, you know, he's like, we, we really learned a lesson on this one. We really, I, we learned a lesson to do this or not do that again. Each project is a, is a learning opportunity for both of us. And, um, in good, in a, in a good sense and a, in a bad sense. I mean, um, you know, I'm very, proud of what we've produced thus far, but, um, you know, I don't know if I can point to any specifics of things I'd necessarily do differently or anything, but, but every project certainly does present a a learning opportunity and we try to take that forward with us and, um, you know, be very aware of what we're laying down currently and how it relates to what was done before and making it different and you know ultimately the goal is to again give each client a a gift i mean i I like i want them to have this little faberge egg basically like each one's its own unique thing and so you have to be reflective in order to have people get something unique each time I, i want them to be proud of having a, a King Collins golf course. And so th- there's a lot of 
looking backwards that goes into looking forwards in order to do that. One one thing I've respected about you, Rob, is never backing down from whether it be a challenge or a fight or whatever. Like you're, you always seem up for it. And I'll ask it in this way. Uh, it seems like, and a lot of people can relate to getting good at something, right? You got really good at golf course architecture and you could, you know, you get that appeal for something, you could stick stick with it. And, you know, in jobs, I think we we all kind of will say, well, I'm, I'm comfortable here. You know, I'm comfortable in this. I know I, I can succeed at it. People like me for it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do stick right here. But you've kind of been up for non-traditional concepts and, you know, your proposal for Pinehurst was so out there that I guarantee nobody else was was going to do it because it had, you know, multiple routings and using the same piece of land for five courses. I, I, I guess I'll ask it this way. Is there any other challenges that you'd like to take on, like, like non-traditional concepts that really fire your imagination and get you thinking outside the box? Are there, are there some that come to mind that, that you'd like to try? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there are, um, there's a couple I can't really say too much about actually. Um, but you know, we are always seeking, um, non-traditional, um, avenues, um, you know, to, to explore and, and be, be creative. And, you know, a lot of that is, um, you know, around, you know, sort kind of like the Pinehurst one where you basically try to maximize every square inch of a piece of property into a, a varied golfing terrain that is always shifting. And I mean, you know, we are definitely not the first person to do a reversible course at all, but like the reversible um, nine hole at Palmetto Bluff, for instance, I mean, you know, that, that, that is part of that idea of making the 50 acres that, that South street partners owns have as much variety as, as possible and, and something that's going to present different playing scenarios and, and, and create different memories for people each time out. And so, um, you know, we're always kind of poking and prodding in those, those directions and, you know, the, the Pinehurst expression, um, which, you know, didn't happen, um, was, was part of that, that, that idea, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I've actually had a, a lot of people reach out to me about the, the five and one thing. And I, I bet you we do that one day somewhere. Maybe it will be Pinehurst. Who knows? I don't know. Somewhere. I hope. Um, okay. I, I'll, I'll follow up that with the, just uh, the challenge of many architects have, have stated and, and kind of in this Renaissance of golf course architecture that they have no interest in, uh, the professional game or building for, you know, the 1% of golfers that are the elite uh, professional game. And I think it's come up a lot more now with uh, golf course architecture being kind of scrutinized by one side in the rollback debate, right? And and people saying, well, it's the equipment. No, you just got to get, get better architects to design the courses differently. Do you have any interest in building golf courses for the 1% for the 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 elite professional golfer would that be something that would get you going yeah i mean i would i would love to build a tournament course um and i 
I think that, you know, you can look at a place like Pinehurst number two, um, which for the couple of us opens it's held, um, you know, I think stands up really, really well. And it's not the most, it's not the longest course, but the combination of short grass and, and contour, um, and, and having to, uh, you know, Mike Clayton was t- tweeting about this the other day in reference to, um, LACC having to hit what he had a clever way of saying it, hitting challenging shots off of good lies, I think is what he said. Did, did you guys see that tweet? Yeah. Did, yeah. You know, is, is, did I say that right? I mean, you basically did. something along those lines where it was rather than hitting impossible shots off of bad lies, hitting challenging shots off of good lies is, is a much more interesting and compelling way to, um, you know, challenge the world's best players. And I think that there's, there's a lot of ways to, you know, to do that. Um, still, even, even with the, with the technological advancements and, um, you know, I, I kind of get a chuckle at the, the data people. I mean, we, I had a, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, I had a little, uh, pissing contest, I guess you could say with Scott Fawcett several years ago about the fifth hole it sweetens. And he was insisting that, you know, it was just all this data driven stuff. And, and I, I was laughing. I was, I was so funny. I was thinking about it yesterday. I mean, he had like these little dots all over the green and how proving how you had to launch it every single time was the best way. And it's like a lot of his dots were on like false edges that are at like a 20% slope. I'm like, well, that's actually not a good place to be. Okay. So, you know, it's, and I get that there's a place for, for data in, in improving one's game. And I mean, Kevin can speak to that as, as, as well as anyone, but I, I firmly believe that, you know, the greatest golf courses in the world still have that artistic uh, others make you use the other side of your brain in the, the, the creative side. And I mean, I think the six hole at LACC Andy had a funny tweet yesterday about how, you know, several of the best players in the world had, you know, laid up on a 280 yard or 300 yard hole. And, um, you know, how it's such an incredible, it's one of the best short par fours in the world. And I mean, that it, it still makes you think, and it's not just, golf cannot be reduced to a pure numbers data game. I mean, the old course is always going to be the best course in the world for a reason or for a lot of reasons. And that's, you know, there's no amount of data can change that. Mm. And, and if you just start building golf courses for, to satisfy some data thing, I mean, you're going to have the world's most boring, uninteresting golf courses. Yeah, I was just, I was just literally thinking of that. Yeah, in terms of, I think a lot of the data-driven approach to golf right now, especially in terms of core strategy, which I do a lot of work for that, has only been supported by, I mean, I'll just say it frankly, boring golf design, right? Like the the proliferation of the data-driven approach to golf aligns directly with the golf courses that are making that a viable approach where, you know, design a golf course with a variety, contoured grounds, right? Definitely firm grounds. Like it just makes the equation much harder that you can't solve it um, with data. You need an artistic aspect to it. And I think circling back on like your work, Rob, I think 
one of the most overlooked aspects of your work is related to contouring, right? It's really easy to play um, a King Collins course and see these bold designs, these artistic designs. You know, I think of a great example would be like maybe the, um, I always think of like the fifth green at Sweden's um, Cove. So you see these bold designs there, but you can end up overlooking your subtle contouring within your within your grounds is that something that is conscious on your mind when you're designing that yeah you see this artistic flair but then it's like uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna f with the golfer and put this little little subtle contour here that is actually like the opposite of the big contour so the big contour tells you just putts breaking left but you hide this just little subtle contour that makes the putt actually break right is that intentional or is that yeah. just the shaping process that comes out that way no i mean that's 100 percent intentional i mean it, and it's also part of the art of the shaping and riffing with the shapers and you know, tad finishing the greens and tad's an amazing green finisher and um you know that that's all part of the the method to the madness that i, that I spoke of earlier and um you know one one thing you know people talk about on our golf courses is oh they're so bold you know this and that and okay well maybe but i contend that a really bold golf course or a really bold green has to have more subtlety than a, a, a flattish green because in, in order to make it playable there's subtle elements that, that you're not that your your mind and your eye are getting overwhelmed by the big contours but you're not seeing the the subtleties within it that allow this bold creation to be playable and so by having something bold means that for us that there's also tremendous amounts of subtleties within that and um you know i mean since you brought it up i mean i I think that at landman you know people talk about how bold all the greens are and it's like the wildest greens they've ever seen and i just don't think that's a real accurate perception of of the golf course at all. I mean, there's number seven, number 15, number 17, and maybe number five or maybe number four. You know, there's four or five greens out there to me that take all the oxygen out of the room and in sort of veer the conversation about the greens that land man in one direction about them being, you know, super wild. But when you look at them, I mean, like there's oodles of pin pinnable area on two and three and even five, which is a 25,000 square foot green. I mean, probably has 18, 20,000 square feet of pinnable area. Um, Number six is a very subtle green. Number eight is a subtle green. Number nine has tons of pinnable area. Ten has these huge banks, but it's it's you know subtle and very playable. And eleven is not a wild green by any stretch. I mean, it's got an eccentric shape. Twelve um, is not a wild green. Thirteen is not a wild green. Fourteen um, is like the most gigantic redan you'll ever see. Um, but where the, where the pins are. I mean, it's all, it's all very subtle. And so, you know, that was very intentional to go out there and 
you know, nail down a set of greens that were going to blow people's minds in a lot of sense, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, you know, be extremely playable and just lay the ground for a tremendously wide variety of shot making options and playing scenarios over time. I mean, Landman with the wind and the, the 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 greens and the different places the pins could be. I mean, it's just a type of golf course where you can see a com- have a completely different experience one day to the next. I mean, you could play it every day for a year. Not that it's possible to play golf in Homer, Nebraska every day, but you know what I mean. I mean, and, and have a completely different experience every time. And um, you know that was a hugely important part of that project i mean going into it we said we cannot build 18 sweetens grains out here and the place will not be playable because the land is so severe so the big question at landman was like how do we build greens that fit into this insane landscape i mean i've never ever seen a golf course on a landscape like that and that's one of the things that makes Landman so unique and I mean Ron Witten toured the golf course a couple of years ago and he said the same thing I mean like there's it's a one-off I mean there's nothing else like it I mean he's seen everything and you know at the same time on a piece of property like that you really need to build features that are a tribute to, to that land and a, a, a tribute to the Andersons and their it's it's a it has to honor that that land in order to do that we had to build you know big bold features but there's so much subtlety in there i mean when somebody so coming all the way back around to my original point when people just say oh they're bold greens i mean it's like well yeah but they're also like incredibly subtle too there's subtleties all throughout them i mean it's not you know it wasn't just doing a bunch of crazy stuff like there was so much thought that went into every single putting surface and yeah you know to just call them bold is like just miss the whole fucking point <laughs> I, I i'm reflecting on my own game here rob and thinking about and, and i've heard this from from Landman, which is perfect timing to, to kind of wrap up talking about that because we're actually packing up and getting ready to go to uh Landman for two days with our summer medal as part of new club um, so dude i cannot cannot wait but i have i have heard just like the size of the greens obviously is an early early comment but i i often reflect on my own scoring at sweetens and just the size of those greens too and if i you know have a longer putt it's usually not the big slope that gets my three putt it's usually i misread the little one yeah. and and i have a four or five footer that i just i, I the, to get to four or five feet was a pretty good shot i used the big yeah. slope i came yeah. in with a putter or maybe maybe yeah. bumped it but it's yeah. usually like uh I didn't take my time on this. This there, there was clearly a subtle break here. Yeah. So I, I kind of that. That's interesting. I've never really kind of conceptualized that, but knowing it, how intentional the subtleties are, um, that I'll keep an eye out for that at Landman. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a, a big, a big part of it, and you know, something Tad and I, our team, take a lot of pride in is nailing down those subtleties. It's, it's everything i mean it just gets down to the micro details that's kind of where it all what it's all about now rob i know we have a lot of fun in our inner circle um talking about golf course design and your work so i gotta ask one to keep our our mutual friends happy um so you use the word one-off you know in terms of landman and i think you could say that about 
you could say that about Sweetens. You know, I've been up to Ennis. Like, they're all unique in their own way, and they stand out, right? Um, and I think a word that's been used as a critique is novelty, right? Like, uh, to not Sweetens is a novelty course or whatever, right? And like, so in my mind, like, where I've settled out on that is, you know, like, I think they're actually disclosing something about themselves, and actually, it's a compliment that's being said if it's spread a few, a few way. But I want to like that term to you, and it's like, oh, Ken Collins, yeah, that's a novelty. Like, what, what, what's in your mind, and maybe reinterpret that in a way that's actually, I, I would see it as actually a compliment than a the critique. But yeah, well, um, it's funny that, that you asked that. I mean, the 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 quote where that was offered up was, was not offered as a compliment. Um, and so, um, but to your point, Kevin, I mean, you can see novelty as a, as a compliment because each one is its own special thing, its own, its own unique creation. Um, our golf courses are novel. So, I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm a glass is half full kind of guy. So I'll, I'll choose to see that as a, as a positive, but, um, when it was used as a, in a pejorative sense, um, it got under my skin and really ticked me off because the person who said that just completely missed the point of Sweden's Cove. And it's came from a guy that should not have missed the point and or had seen enough stuff to to know better and um you know i don't know i don't know why he missed it but he did and that's okay but um if a golf course that is nine holes that plays differently every single time out that offers a, a incredibly wide variety of situations you know that is one that, that people from all over the country and now all over the world are, are wanting to come play and see um, because of its uniqueness and, and, the, and the type of golf that it, it offers and the, the, the type of feeling that you have when you come off of it, the things that it makes you think about. If that's a novelty, then hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need more novelty in life. Rob, I know you got a hard stop and a bunch of things to do, and it's it's uh, a question. Maybe it's a more personal question, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. It's you, it's so well documented, and it's felt so strongly that you poured your heart and soul into Sweden's Cove. And I know you told me back then that that's just who you are, and and that you're gonna do that regardless of the project. Well, fast forward, and you're a busy man, and you got a lot of projects, and I know. With with I got to talk to you through, you know, a little bit here and there on on Landman and Ness and Overton Park and Brazen Head and Red Feather and the list goes on. Is there a a toll it takes of of are are you still able to put your heart and soul in into it the way that you you know always thought and and does that require some personal attention to rob like are there things that you have to do do you have to step away for a while do you have to take a break in between projects L- leave us with kind of that like you know being the the passionate guy you are about golf course architecture and the courses you build how do you manage to how do you manage it all to to keep putting that level of of passion into your work well i mean we've fortunately developed an 
and are continuing to develop an incredibly talented team of people around us who are like-minded and guys who, who are, you know, have huge impact on, on all these golf courses that we, that we're building. And, um, you know, the guys that are working with us are, they're incredible and they're, they're fun to work with. And, you know, they're an incredibly huge part of, of what, what we're doing and allow us to, um, do what we do. And, and so we rely a lot on, on them and their, their own creativity. And, but there's no less thought, but it's, you know, we have a very uh, collaborative approach to design. So, I mean, I, I need to credit, give credit where credit's due with, with all the, the great, incredibly talented people who are working with us. And then, you know, on the personal side, I mean, we have, you know, there's four people in my immediate family and we're just a very close tight knit family and do a lot of stuff together. And that, you know, that's a real important part. And I mean, I just came off of a 10 day trip and was kind of worn out and yesterday was tired. And I actually got on my phone at 10 o'clock because I thought that I was doing the podcast yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'm like, Oh, tomorrow and (laughs) meaning today. And, um, so I, yesterday was turned a little bit upside down. I mean, I kind of needed a day to decompress and I went and had lunch with my older daughter and it was awesome. And I helped recharge my batteries a little bit. So, um, things like that, you know, help. Yeah. Well, Rob, thanks, man. We cannot wait for, uh, yeah. August yeah. 10th, 11th to be at Landman. I'm just honored that you guys are going out there and excited for, for, for you guys to be there. It is a competition. Any, any advice for those listening that are a part of the summer medal this year at Landman? Any, uh, I don't know, you know, tips of, of, of strategy coming from the architect? Um, boy, um, I would just say that, um, you know, you might want to try to really dial in your ball striking a little bit beforehand because if it's windy i mean it it can really eat you up and um you know landman offers a lot of chance to play the ball along the ground and and to mitigate some of that wind and you know pay close attention to to what these holes are, are asking and think about places that you can hit a nice low shot um to, where, where you can where you can stay safe and, and and still score because there's a lot of lot of opportunities out there to do that you just gotta keep an eye on it noted noted well thanks again rob appreciate you being with us man thank y'all that rob collins you know i think he's going places yeah maybe jury's out a little bit we'll we'll see if uh see if he does something notable <laughs> He is, uh, I, I, I forgot, I wanted to ask him if he's going to write a book. I, I uh, want his thoughts captured in time. You asked that, you know, 50 to 100 years question. That What that made me think about was, man, this guy's got to put this down on paper. Unless people want to keep going back and listen to the, the Backdrop podcast, you know, <laughs> 100 years from now, maybe that's the case. But I'd love to see him write a book at some point. Yeah, and I think one of the things, like one of my takeaways and related to that was like, that would be a hard book to write because of the emotional, like just the romantic aspect, artistic aspects of his design. And it's hard to write that down. And I think that helps help clarify my own thoughts. I'm like, oh, this is, 
I'm in the data world in the sense I've run a couple of businesses around it and I love that aspect, but I also have an adverse respect, uh, reaction to it too because I don't believe you can quantify golf in that way or life in that way. Part So much of golf is about the human experience and as much as we try to act like data is objective and the produ- production of that and we should be able to objectify everything, even people in neuroscience and physics is not like react against that. No, this is just like a lens that, that we can put on to help explain the world, but there's no way paints a... Uh, objective picture of the world. And I think key in golf design exactly is exactly that. And, you know, the idea of loose ends, like you walk off of Rob Collins course uh, and you, you have loose ends in the sense of you got to go back to that first tee. You got to go play more. You want to get that second hole and try that shot again, or you want to, you know, you're going to see new things or you want to try new things. And that can, that can't be captured in just like, Oh, here's how you do that. Right. That's something on the grounds that you just got to feel much like a great band just feels an album come together and there's an arc, a narrative to it that it's just, you can't produce that in, in an instructional an instruction manual. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's like a state of flow that you can get into on, on a Rob Collins, Tad King golf course because of the presence that's required because of the variables that aren't really controllable. Mm. You know, we, we as golfers, you know, go the route of, and this is what the discussion is around the program game so much is these guys have gotten so good at controlling every single val- variable, launch angle, their fitness levels, their, um, their rotation, their, their equipment, their, their every single variable. And this one element of nature, outdoors and weather can't be controlled, obviously. And then, and then the, the grounds we play on. It's like everyone wants to control those, and and that's that's not representative of life. Mm. You know, we're we're given the the cards were dealt, and you do the best with them, and then they change, and then when they change, you got to react. And so I just feel like there's a sense of presence that I have when I'm you know playing his courses. So it's uh, it's a fascinating you know. I know we're just talking about golf and building golf courses, but it really does go to more of a. a emotional level, uh, intellectual level, a uh, uh, social level uh, in that. And so uh, it's just great to see him getting so much more work and and building places, frankly, closer to me <laughs> that I can go, you know, meet up with new club members and, and play. So, um, well, yeah, um, they're really wonderful, wonderful man, Rob Collins. Nice booking professor. Is that weird for you talking to Rob when you like, you talk to him all the time and probably ask him a hundred questions, but then when you're doing it with Mike's in, in the room, is it a little Yeah, weird? a little bit. I mean, typically, yeah, it's over, over golf and maybe a, a couple pints or two and uh, yeah, a little bit different feel, but it's every time you talk to Rob, it's great. And I can't wait for the crew, you know, in the next week or so to be experiencing Landman and uh, I'm pumped because it's going to be they're almost all first timers. There's probably going to be less than a handful, maybe that have been there before. I don't know something like that. And they hear like what what story do they do they feel when they're walking that course and and seeing Landman for the first time? Because it Rob's not lying. It, like he's obviously biased in the sense of it's his course, so it's his baby. But I can speak as someone that's played it. Like it is unique. It, it is yeah. a one off and. I just want to, I'm probably going to be pretty quiet most of that trip and just listen to what people say about it because it it's just brings together things I've never seen before in terms of scale and contours, setting. It's just, I can't even talk about it because I, it's hard to put into words what that place is. 
that's that's part of the fun of these trips, right? Is is rapping afterwards and listening to the stories and how people dealt with those variables and those those elements out there. And a good spot to to thank our uh, presenting sponsor of this podcast, brought to you by our wonderful team at New Club Golf Society. New Club is a, a course accepting applications. It's a rolling 12 months, so you can join at any time. We talked about the local tee times and the local chapters, Atlanta, Chicago, many more to come. Uh, we talked about our, our local events and tee times and our uh, monthly medals and, and leagues. We did not talk about these fixtures, which is what we're alluding to with the summer medal headed to Landman. Um, we operate four fixtures every single year domestically, the spring meeting, the summer medal, the fall founders cup, and the winter meeting. And then you can't forget about international travel. I know we all aspire to get to these wonderful um, top world-class golf courses that are very accessible and open over in the, the UK and Ireland. Uh, we do it. And we do it uh, with our international that happens every two years with a big old group of new club members. We just got back from Northern Ireland. And then uh, and then our pilgrimage to the home of golf in St. Andrews, which is one of the un- most unique values uh, you can have as a new club member is getting to the home of golf and, and really experiencing it like a local. Um, all that and... People like the professor here and myself, just people that love this silly game, bona fide golfers and uh, the ability to play with them anytime you'd like. Apply at newclub.golf. Hey, professor, have a great week, man. Let's tear it up this summer. Let's play some golf. See you soon.